SEJ Summit 2016 is coming to Santa Monica, Chicago, and New York City. With a focus on actionable marketing for SEOs by SEOs, SEJ Summit is a can't miss event. Get $50 off your ticket now by using the code SEJNerd. Learn more at searchenginejournal.com slash SEJ Summit 2016. We're sitting on the most perfect beach in the world, and all we can think about is where. Where can I hook up my bottom? Digital pen part of work. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS report. Who should we send it to first? Just a couple of people. The question is, who are they going to send it to? This podcast is brought to you by Search Engine Journal, and you're listening to Marketing Nerds. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Marketing Nerds. My name is Kelsey Jones. I'm the executive editor at Search Engine Journal, and I'm excited to be here today with Pam Didner. She is a global marketing expert, and she's also the author of Global Content Marketing. Pam, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. My pleasure. And thank you for having me. Yeah. So um, I first kind of heard of you when we covered your book for the Search Engine Journal Book Club. And so one of the things that the reviewer mentioned in your book was you talk about globalizing content. Can you elaborate more on what that means for our audience? Yeah, certainly. And by the way, thank you for writing um, a book review for my book. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it was helpful. Not a lot of content out there about global content marketing. So it's always good to see that kind of stuff out there. Yes, certainly. It's a very niche uh, topic, if you will. And obviously, the title of my book is Global Content Marketing. Essentially, uh, my book is a how-to book to share with uh, readers on how to scale your content across regions. And uh, the title, Global, and content marketing sounds a little bit daunting, if you will. Um, So whenever I give a presentation, um, try to explain uh, the definition of global content marketing, I usually break it down uh, into two elements. Obviously, one is global, the other one is content marketing. And just for the sake of today's podcast and uh, to align with uh, the viewer, uh, the listeners, the content marketing is, um, I like this definition a lot, the process of developing and sharing relevant, valuable, and engaging content to target audiences with the goal of acquiring new customers or increasing business from existing customers. So um, using content as a means to produce, uh, to introduce and also educate your target audience uh, about your products and services. Hopefully by doing so that you can gain uh, the new customers or increasing businesses from existing customers. I like that. Yeah, good definition. Thank you. Now I'm going to bring global back to the picture. The way I define global is actually from client's perspective, especially from the perspective of internal internal communication. It's about the headquarter and local teams working together to execute content marketing efforts. So really, if you think about it, global in a sense, it's really a collaboration between the corporate and the local team. That makes and sense. On top of it, global doesn't mean that you have to market in every single country uh, on the planet. 
and everybody has limited budget and everybody have a view targeted specific business objectives. So you must target it. Uh, you must target countries that you want to go after. So global in that sense is really country priority. So to summarize, global from client's perspective is really the balance and also collaboration between the local and also the headquarters. And then it also means country priority. Is that helpful? Yeah, for sure. And that's a good point that, you know, even if you want to be global, it doesn't mean that you need to, you know, target every country because not every company is going to want to target every country. So that's a good point. True, true. <laughs> so that kind of brings me to my next question. When it comes to doing content marketing for different strategies, or sorry, different countries, are there different strategies um, for each country? I mean, depending on maybe the customs or what's popular in each country, does the strategy change? You know, that's actually a very good question, Kelsey. I, I think it really depends on the following elements. It depends on products, organizational structure, budget allocation, corporate culture, and uh, a senior sales and the marketing manager's preference. And let me address each one of them very quickly. Products. Some products are highly localized. Um, and that's use the menu from McDonald's as an example, right? Mm -hmm. So the menus from McDonald's uh, will be substantially different between the U.S. and the India, or mm -hmm. maybe U.S. and the Middle East. And so because the, the menu or the uh, the food they serve are so localized, then uh, you will need a specific strategy for each country. And at Intel, um, which is the company I worked before, and we sell processors. Processors are processors are processors. <laughs> so it's a very standardized type of product. So with that being said, um, I don't think you need uh, expanded uh, localization or content marketing strategy for that. So that's uh, um, from products perspective, right? So mm -hmm. homogeneous versus heterogeneous type of products will determine if you need a specific or different uh, strategies for different countries. Okay, that makes sense. And the next thing is organizational structure. Um, Obviously, it also depends on if you have um, local resources on the ground. And if you do, um, obviously, it makes sense that um, they have a specific a plan that they can execute. And some, some companies, they may not have anybody on the ground. Then the headquarter teams will need to take care of that strategy. And with that being said, they probably will make it a little bit more homogeneous. And another thing is the budget allocation, um, and also um, the the how the budget is allocated, centralized versus decentralized. That will also dictate uh, the strategy planning. Got it. Because you probably want to spend more money in specific countries. Maybe it's harder to do co to marketing there or something like that. Yes, certainly. And of course, another thing I would like to emphasize is corporate culture. And some cultures are um, they are more creative and they give um, more autonomous um, uh, autonomy, if you will, 
to uh, uh, different regions and also countries. And they will say, okay, you know what? As long as you meet our PML, uh, which is our uh, your in, uh, sales goal, I don't care what you do. If that's the case, mm-hmm. and then of course the 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 on the ground marketing team can actually have their own strategy because they have autonomous to do that. And in some companies, and uh, you probably know, some companies are more centralized and they may not um, welcome or embrace that kind of approach. So the corporate culture does play a role. And another thing, the last element I would like to mention is, after all, the company is run by people. And um, a lot of time, especially in a smaller company, a VP of sales and marketing or CMO, they can actually single-handedly determine how the content strategy or the marketing strategy should be managed. And... um, some of them, they probably prefer a more centralized type of manner, which is one strategy, and that will go you know, to multiple different regions. And some probably prefer that each region um, have their own voice. So that's also um, a preference um, can be determined by company. So that's the uh, one, two, three, four, five elements <laughs> that I want to share with you. Got it. So it's kind of a mixture of all of those when it comes to companies deciding what their strategy is going to be for global content. Yes, yes. And a lot of those elements, uh, they do play uh, into a role. And people tend to overlook that. They feel like, okay, you can dictate. You can't. It's really budget, corporate culture, organizational structure driven, and also products too. Yeah, for sure. So I also wanted to pick your brain a little bit on just content marketing as a whole because I feel like a lot more marketers are getting more invested in content and making it a bigger part of their budget. Um, So I wanted to ask you a couple general questions. Uh, One being, do you think that marketers should focus on evergreen content only or do you think it's worthwhile to, you know, have trending content and evergreen content as a mixture? Yeah, that's actually a very good question. And um, um, I just wrote a blog post this Monday and um, that somehow related to this specific question. And I was speaking at Budapest uh, last week and I ran into a very interesting professor and his name is uh, Dr. Samir Husney. And he's the director of the Magazine Innovation Center at the University of Mississippi. And he himself has a collection of more than 30,000 magazines in different languages. I, wow. I was like, wow. Yeah, he, actually, <laughs> yeah, he actually introduced himself as Mr. Magazine. <laughs> and um, he shared with me that there are three types of magazines. Okay. And let me share that with you. And I thought, I think you will find it interesting. One night stand. Love affair, <laughs> marriage. Okay. So, yes, let me explain that. Let me explain that. The One Night Stand magazine um, are uh, magazines that are published based on the milestone, key event, or person. And the Life magazine usually does a great job of publishing One Night Stands. Um, for example, you know, uh, special edition or tributes to Princess Diana or JF Kennedy's um, 
uh, Queen Elizabeth II's Golden Jubilees, you know, World War II's mm-hmm. 60th anniversaries. So those type of magazines are special edition and, uh, and very timely to entice readers into a one-night stand with them. I thought that was a good analogy. Yeah, for sure. And Love Affairs, and the, the magazine that belongs to Love Affairs are something like, uh, you know, people will buy a magazine for a short period of time based on the key decisions in their lives. Um, the best examples are wedding planning, pregnancy preparations, or, you know, a trouble. You plan a, a, a big trouble, like a month-long trouble. Mm-hmm. So brides-to-be will purchase bridal magazines, when they start planning their weddings and shopping for a dress. And they will buy the, uh, tons of uh, bridal magazine for a good period of time. Parents-to-be will purchase parenting and the baby-related magazines to get ready for their firstborns. So um, if you think about it, um, uh, the, when the wedding is over or the baby is born, they are no longer interested in that magazine as if a love affair lost its fire and the passion. Got it. That makes sense. Yeah. And then this one is marriage magazines. And uh, this type of magazine that becomes a ritual uh, to readers' daily lives. For example, my mother-in-law loves her New Yorkers. And my husband reads his monthly car plate magazines. Seriously? I mean, it's kind of dumb. I'm sorry. Did I say that? <laughs> he collects car plates, and um, there is an organization for uh, for people who are interested in collecting car plates, and they have a magazine. Wow! And uh, he loves receiving that magazine on a regular basis, and uh, so that types of magazine become part of their lives, and they are obviously a loyal followers. So when I was thinking about it, um content marketing uh, that he was talking. And uh, so that to answer your question, ultimately, obviously, as a blogger or uh, a podcaster like you, you want to create compelling and useful content so your readers see you as the go-to source for specific topics. So as a result, you will use content to form a long-term relationship with your readers or customers. However, from time to time, you should have fun content that tap into some current events or milestones by creating one-night stand or love affairs uh, with your customers. So to answer your question, yes, but I <laughs> thought this analogy was a lot of fun. And, uh, and the, he and I had a great time in Budapest, but um, I thought I shared the analogy with you. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's really an easy way to remember, and I, I love that. I think having a mixture, you know, of, of one night stands and marriage content seems like the way to go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now I see one night stand in a totally different context. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I never thought we'd be talking about it on Marketing Nerds, but here we are. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, in terms of when you're creating content for your audience, I know one thing that I've had clients or marketers talk to me about in the past is including information about their own company or including call to actions about their products and services. Do you think that when you're creating content, should they all have you know, a call to action or a mention of what the company offers or does that turn away readers? 
you know, I would like to answer that from a slightly different perspective. When we think about call to action or CTA, we tend to visualize that uh, we need to have a call to action to buy or call to action to download or basically, um, you know, a call to act. And we usually associate a call to action with the last sentence of uh, an ad or a blog or a video or whatnot. Mm-hmm. However, I feel call to action should begin way before you start writing or producing your content. It literally starts with your subject line, if you think about it. The reason I said that is everything you communicate should have a sense of purpose. Obviously, no one creates content for the sake of creating, right? Kelsey, you are not doing the podcast because it's fun. Or I'm not writing a blog post on uh, every single Monday because I it's fun. Well, sometimes it was, but a lot of time we, we have a reason behind why we are doing it. Mm-hmm. And the Mashables quizzes, like if you, you, we, we get this Mashables quizzes on Facebook tweet, uh, newsfeed all the time. And it may seem very silly and pointless, but they are doing it with a purpose. That purpose is to drive traffic to their site. So in a way, they have a call to action, even though when we, do, when we are doing the quizzes, we don't feel it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So... So the way I think about it is really not about call to action. It's about what you are trying to communicate and what you want to steer your readers to. So the call to action is not something that you should focus on. It's more or less if you are producing or create a piece of content, what is the purpose? And as long as you accomplish that purpose and the call to action will come naturally. I like that because I think I see a lot of businesses, you know, just creating content because they feel like everyone else is, so they should be too. And so that's a good reminder to, you know, everyone listening that every piece of content that you're thinking about creating or creating needs to have a purpose behind it and a reason why you're creating it because that's when your audience is going to find it interesting. Excellent. You got it. (laughs) So how does... How does that tie into repurposing content? Do you recommend doing that? Um, Does that fit into global content at all? I mean, you know, and repurposing meaning, you know, maybe I write a blog post and I really like the idea, so I decide to turn it into an ebook, or, you know, maybe I decide to turn it into a presentation for a webinar or a conference. Um, Is that that a good strategy? Does it work for global audiences? What do you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, you actually brought a very good point. So um, repurposing content is a big part of a global content marketing from, uh, uh, in my own opinion. And you brought up one way to actually uh, repurposing content, and uh, which is, um, I, I think there's two categories of it, two general category. You can break down a long form content, such as 18 uh, page white paper, say into a two minute whiteboard videos, 15 slides, uh, presentations for slide share, and into numerous digestible and uh, snackable tweets or image like uh, type of quotes. So you got it, right? So that's one way of repurposing your content is you take one piece of content, you break it down. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
And uh, another way is actually take a small little pieces of the content and then you consolidate into a long form content. So one is kind of like uh, um, uh, bottoms up, the other one's tops down. That way of doing it is kind of like recipes. Let's assume you, you produce a weekly recipes to share with uh, your audience and over 20 weeks, you have a 20 recipes and you can easily uh, consolidate that and make that uh, an ebook, you know, the cooking, uh, a cooking book or an ebook for uh, various different kinds of recipes. So repurposing content um, is part of the, the content, plan, uh, content marketing planning because you cannot create original content day in and day out. And then you need to um, leverage your existing content and have them carry extra miles for you. So repurposing content is important. However, how does that play into, say, um, scaling your content across regions? Mm -hmm. um, the way I would answer that question, and remember, um, I talk about global uh, is the way to balance and also collaborations between the corporate and local teams earlier. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, repurposing content should be managed by the local team, not necessarily at a corporate team. That the local team decide, each local team decide what they want to localize and translate and then determine which content is relevant for their regions or the countries, then certainly the corporate team won't feel overwhelmed on what content they need to repurpose. Does that make sense? Yeah. That just team make that decision and then take care of that part of it. And then you will have that repurposing element as a part of your content planning. Yeah, that's a really good point. I wouldn't have thought of. I mean, if you if we think about, you know, the example you gave with recipes, you know, some recipes that might do really well in the Midwest where I live in Kansas City might not fare as well maybe in California where they focus on seafood or things like that. So that's right. a that's a really good point I wouldn't have even thought of. Yeah, and especially if you have a regional, uh, um, say, regional team on the ground, and that them take the lead and make that decision, I think that will also help your job, uh, make your job a lot easier. Yeah, definitely. So you know, it's been really interesting talking to you about all this uh, content marketing and strategy. To kind of wrap it up today and close out the podcast, are there any? tools or books about content marketing besides your own, of course, <laughs> that you would recommend <laughs> to the audience? Any tools you use or books you really enjoy? Um, very good, Kelsey. Um, I don't usually recommend, um, um, say, tools, especially vendors' tools. Um, I'm not associated with any vendors per se. But if you are doing content marketing, and you should always have the following tools from my perspective, you should always have a marketing automation tool, right? And you should also have a CRM so that you can track uh, your customers and uh, what kind of content that they, they actually um, download. Mm -hmm. And another thing that you should have is a content management tool. And that content management tool um, can be a workflow that help you to uh, um, managing the content creation um, uh, through different stages, um, the, the, the content planning, and also um, the archiving of the content, especially if you have um, digitized your content, everything is online. 
So the tools you need to think about it is from your you need to think about tool from the processes perspective, right? How do you manage your content from creation to syndication? Mm -hmm. Then once you actually have a process flow identified, then you you can easily understand what kind of tool you need to complement that process. So like I said, a minimal content management tool, uh, CIM and the marketing automation tool. For books, and that's even harder to make a recommendation, and uh, mm -hmm. it, it really depends on what type of content works or content jobs that you are doing. And some of you uh, listeners are content creators. You probably prefer something, uh, topics that related how to tell stories and uh, also how to create better content or even possibly how to repurpose content. And but some of you probably are content promoters, right? You probably leverage mm -hmm. different social media channels or even pay media channels to get your content out. Then the topics that you will be interested in is really how to uh, leveraging some of this channel uh, better. So it's very hard to actually recommend books per se. I do actually have a quite a bit, quite a bit of a content marketing books. Um, actually, I'm looking at them right now. But there's one book I actually enjoy a lot. It's um, it's actually it's a it's a book about how to uh, how to um, how to tell a story or how to do messagings and uh, and value propositions for your product and services. And this is by Heath Brother, Chip Heath and Dan Heath. Um, Made to stick. And oh, I've read that book. I love this book. I read it twice. And I really like yes. it. And um, a lot of time when people are doing content, um, they always ask a couple of questions. They always ask, who is my target audience? What do I want to accomplish? And also, what should I say? Right. So any mm -hmm. kind of content, I remember working with agencies when I was in the corporate world. They always come to me and say, okay, you want me to produce this content? Great, Pam. What's the objective? Who am I talking to? And what should I say? And what should I say tends to be the messaging framework um, if you are talking to enterprise um, uh, uh, company, uh, enterprise uh, um, customers or marketing professional. And I thought this book um, did a great job, actually, uh, at least for me, and let me understand how the messaging and also value proposition works. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed that book as well, and I think it it has a lot of good principles that could go beyond content marketing. So I'm glad you brought it up, and we'll be sure to link to it in the recap. Perfect, perfect. Well, Pam, thank you so much for joining us on Marketing Nerds. It was a really great conversation. I've you had a lot of good points and uh, made me think of some things I hadn't thought of before. So hopefully, it's the same for everyone listening. Appreciate it. And thank you for inviting me, Kelsey. It has been a great um, chat. Yeah, I agree. Well, signing off, this is Kelsey Jones of Search Engine Journal and Pam Didner. This Marketing Nerds podcast has been brought to you by Search Engine Journal. For more news, interviews, and how-to guides from marketing experts from around the world, visit us at searchenginejournal.com.